I don't know if you realise or not, but there's a bit of a turf war in France at the moment over the railways. Uh, the French are, are proud of their railways. It, it's like a, a national institution. Uh, French people get passionate about their trains. And strikes began on the 3rd of April and are, and are planned to continue um, two days out of every five until the 28th of June. The issue, of course, is money, as usual, and Emmanuel Macron, who you can see on the screen, has attempted to push through less generous terms for new employees to the SNCF, the National Rail Organisation. Removing such terms as, as, as guarantees of automatic pay rises and guarantees of a job for life, and the company is heavily in debt and, and they need to cut their cloth somewhere. France is, is of course, known as a country where they like to protest uh, and this, is, uh, this issue is, is very emotive, and, uh, and, and yet Emmanuel Macron is, is insistent that, that real reform must come. He's the newly elected uh, centrist champion of France, isn't he? He's, he's like Europe's new boy. He's, he's, the, he's the kind of uh, fresh face of, of, of the future. Uh, it's the immovable object against the irresistible force. But, but who's going to win? Uh, who's going to win in this tussle? With this new chapter in Daniel, we, we have a new vision, a new dream for Daniel, and a new problem for the preacher. Uh, the last verse tells us that, that for Daniel it was beyond his understanding. But we shall, with God's help, seek to understand it to some extent tonight. In, some, uh, in recent years, uh, many good books have been made into films uh, and, and, and the purist, of course, may say that it has ruined them. I can understand that. But, but at the same time, on the positive spin, it has opened books up to a wider audience, that's for sure. And, it, uh, of course, it's an issue of time. Uh, the pace of the modern world means that people will not attempt to read the 1,100 pages of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but will quite happily spend less than 10 hours watching it. But for those of us uh, who like visual aids, uh, otherwise known as those of us lacking imagination, having it on the screen is better. It, it helps us, I, I think, uh, for other reasons. Uh, uh, we have uh, here in Daniel's head a picture world. These chapters are, are like um, the big picture storybook for adults. In Daniel's uh, latter half of his of his book, it's like he's watching a film in chapter eight. He's got this this sort of visual feast for his senses. I mean, I think that helps Daniel because uh, God doesn't just give him uh, his word like he does to most of the other Old Testament prophets. No, he he, he shows him his word. He, he's he's giving him more to think about. He's giving him more to go on. He, he's pitched a, a picture paints a thousand words. Isn't that right? It's so vivid, isn't it? And, and, and can't can you see it in the way it impacts Daniel? He, he, he's sick and he's worried and he's concerned and he wants to know what it means. And it, it, it's, it, it's, it's much more to go on, isn't it, in Daniel's prophecies. And the first picture, uh, the first picture that we see uh, is, involves a lone ram. Two years have passed since Daniel's dreamed his dream of chapter 7, which we looked at last week. It's now the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar of Babylon. It's 550, 552 BC or so. 548 BC or so. But, but again, uh, this is somewhat different. Because Daniel here is not just crossing time. Here he's also crossing space. He's crossing geographical distance in this vision. 
I imagine it. I, I think of it in my mind, like like a bit of a magic carpet ride. You know, as he's he's in that part of the world, you know, where they make carpets, <laughs> and he's sort of being transported across uh, to get this front row seat uh, of his own of his own private viewing of of the events of the world, big events that are coming. He's currently in Babylon, and then all of a sudden, Babylon's in modern-day Iraq, and all of a sudden he's transported 200 miles east, uh, and he's in Susa, uh, the the citadel, the capital, which is in present-day Iran. Susa is not that important yet in Daniel's world, uh, but it will become really important uh, as the centre of the empire of the Medes and Persians. You remember Nehemiah, he's the cupbearer to the king in, in his book, and he says he's in Susa, uh, in the capital of the Medes and the Persians' empire. And um, Daniel is transported, he, he goes over the province of Elam, and he reaches his destination, and it's the Ulai Canal, we're told. And then he gets this sort of bird's eye view of, 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 of this ram, uh, sort of uh, making, ha- having, having fun, playful fun on the, on the banks of the canal. It's got two horns, it's a meal. And uh, we're, we're told that he's a, he, we're sort of given the impression that, he, that he's proud, he's a, he's a proud ram, he, he, he's holding his horns high, one of them is, is actually taller than the other, and the longer one grows up later, something about the, the movement inside that empire of the Medes and Persians. Horns in the Bible are, are, are a picture of power and strength, aren't they? You remember Psalm 18? The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. It's a picture of strength in the Bible. You remember as the walls of Jericho come crashing down, what are they doing? They're blowing a ram's horn, a trumpet. This is a strong beast. And he's charging around, he's having fun, no no one's able to challenge him. He does as he pleases, that's the way it's put. He moves north, south, uh, east and west, and there's no trouble to him. But then, as Daniel watches the spectacle, he gets a view of another animal which approaches from the west. Uh, He's getting this view of of an animal sweeping across the face of the earth. That's why I think he has to be high up in this uh, vision. And again, it's a meal. And he has one horn between his, his eyes. He's a goat. And of course, very quickly, uh, the two meals jostle for position. They, um, they have an altercation. They have a confrontation. And this is all for Daniel to see. And, and the goat charges at the ram with powerful wrath. I don't know if any of you remember Jonah Lomu, uh, a New Zealand uh, rugby player who was famous in the 1995 Rugby World Cup in South Africa. He was a beast of a man. Uh, he, he charged down the wing and, and all these English players that are playing against New Zealand are sort of pushed out of the way and made to look like, like schoolboys. And he's almost trampling over the top of, of uh, Rob, uh, Rob Andrew in the process. He just sort of shunts them out of the way with his hand. He's so powerful. He, he was a real superstar uh, with the world at his feet. And, and in the fight, the, the ram with uh, two horns, uh, the, the horns are broken. And he falls to the ground. He's defeated. And the goat takes over the centre stage. And the goat becomes great, exceedingly great. And he becomes strong. But then there's a twist. In, in time, at the height of, of its strength... The goat seems to sort of self-destruct. That's the way it's put. 
The one great horn of strength is broken and replaced by four horns for each of the four winds of heaven. And then out of these four horns comes a a little horn uh, which uh, grows towards the south and the east and towards the glorious land, we're told, which is almost certainly Israel. When I lived in England, Northern Ireland was sometimes the glorious land. You see, to exiles, the glorious land is always home. Isn't that right? We have, uh, we have another little horn in, in chapter 7. But, but I would argue this is a different one. This is a different little horn. And this horn takes its fight against heaven and its fight against God's people on the earth. And, and it, causes, it causes the regular burnt offerings to be revoked, we're told. It causes the sanctuary, the holy place, that's the temple, to be overturned and trampled underfoot. Okay. The horn prevails successfully and truth is thrown to the ground, we're told. And then we have this this discussion between two holy ones who who are angels, uh, who appear in the vision, and they ask the narrator, how long will this this, this tragedy of, 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 of of the... Ceasing of the regular sacrifices and the, and the trampling underfoot of the holy place. How long, will it, how long will it go on for? The question of time. And the answer comes back. 2,300 evenings and mornings. That's the answer. So the ramifications, forgive me for the pun, are here. Uh, we, because we're, again, uh, there's help given. Uh, for, for Daniel uh, again the interpretation uh, help is given from the heavenly realm and there's a man on the banks of the Uli and, uh, and yet it's no ordinary man um, it's an angel and this time he's named it's the angel Gabriel and the angel helps Daniel because the mystery is too difficult for him to work out yet Daniel realises that there is something to work out it's not just nonsense it's, it's, it's something because that's the way God works in his dreams. As Daniel scratches his head with what his eyes have seen in the dream, he meets this frightening figure of the angel Gabriel. And um, do you notice that every time Gabriel appears in the, in the Bible, everyone's afraid of him? Everyone's very afraid. He only appears by name on two other occasions. Uh, that's with Zechariah, who's John the Baptist's father, uh, in Luke, and, and also, of course, to Mary. And both of them are very frightened. He must be some sight to behold, the angel Gabriel. And Daniel, he, he falls to his face. He, he's so scared. And, and Gabriel says in verse 17, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. Now, just a side, but not an important point here. Okay? When we hear uh, the time of the end... Uh, we are tuned in uh, to uh, the language of prophecy. Uh, we are tuned in to pro- prophecy meetings and, and prophetic speakers and such. And we're automatically hearing something. We're automatically hearing the, 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 the end times. We're automatically hearing the absolute end. The very last days of the world. That's what, we're, that's what we sort of hear when we hear those, that phrase. Gabriel speaks of the other phrases he uses to, to describe this uh, in this section. The latter end, the time of the end, the latter end in verse 23. But I want to say I'm fairly sure that, that's, that, that, that the very, very end is not what Gabriel means. Tonight we're dealing with two, uh, two animals, which are two kingdoms. 
But these two kingdoms in Daniel's near future are in our distant past. Neither of these two kingdoms are associated with the end in terms of the final consummation of things. Okay? Rather, it would appear that, that the times of the end, as Gabriel puts it, simply refers to, to, to days that will come many years later. Rather than at the very, very end. As, it, as we look at the interpretation in a moment, we'll, we'll see that, 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 that he's talking about um, days that are not the very end of the world. Many days from now, he calls it in verse 26. Uh, and that's probably the best sense of this. This is, not the, fu- this is the future, but it's not the, the, the throne of judgment that we had in chapter 7, which comes at the very end. And then, of course, the mystery begins to be revealed in verse 20. We get, we, we get um, interpretations. We get certainty here. Uh, it's great to have some certainty. We're told that the ram equals the, uh, the Medes and the Persians. That's their kingdom. One horn is Media. One horn is Persia. He belongs to the not-too-distant future, 11 or 12 years after Daniel's vision. And, uh, and of course, uh, when it comes to the goat, uh, without any help, uh, Daniel could say, it's all Greek to me, but it's actually the king of Greece uh, that the goat represents. He's given help here. In verse 21, it's the, the goat is the king of Greece. Of course, Greece is in the west, uh, as we can also see in the map, as far as uh, Daniel's concerned. It's the kingdom of the great king, uh, Alexander the Great. Uh, as we saw last time, this is probably about 330 BC, uh, 220 years after Daniel's vision. And he's great. We know Alexander is great because it's in his name. He's called Alexander the Great. And he sweeps across uh, from the west and he takes the realm of the Medes and the Persians. He takes over. Uh, there's a bit of altercation uh, on several fronts and, and, and he takes over. The kingdom's his. He takes land after land with consummate ease. Jonah Lomu, of course, sadly died at age 40, uh, the year before last. But Alexander, he only lives to age 32. He dies on the, either the 10th or the 11th of June, 323 BC. And following his death, there's a series of civil wars. And, and guess what happens? The kingdom is split in four. Seleucus, Potelemy, Lysimachus and Cassander. And there's a pound at the door for anyone that can remember those and, and say them to me. Okay, That's the four kings that, the, that, that it's split into. The Greek Empire. You see it there on the map. And the most important one is the biggest one. It's in yellow. It's Seleucus. Okay? That's the biggest uh, portion of the Greek Empire um, as far as geographical area is concerned. It's also the one that they were most interested in. Because as historical details continue, uh, the the identity of this little horn that's mentioned in Daniel 8 is almost certainly known to us as well. It's one called Antichus Epiphanes. Antichus Epiphanes, who ruled the Seleucid Empire from 175 BC until his death uh, 11 years later. He is likely to be the one who emerged at the latter end of their kingdom, which is what we read in verse 23. The king of bold face. Okay. Yes, there's something of the spirit of the Antichrist in him. He, he's proud. He stands against the prince of princes, we're told. Uh, he tramples and indeed destroys some of the saints, a bit like our little horn did last week. He will be successful. He will destroy many. 
As I said last week, the way I read this is that the traits of the Antichrist uh, who is coming, the the capital A Antichrist, uh, the traits of him are actually found right throughout history uh, and repeat themselves. I mean, it was in the news this week that Emmanuel Macron wants a federal state of Europe. And you could argue, you could see some of the same in him. Um, That's for for, for a bit of um, discussion. That's open for discussion. But this guy... um, Antichicus, in particular, we know that, that, that he waged a ruthless war against the Israelites who inhabited the glorious land. Okay, he wages this war against the Israelites, and and of course, what he really what he's really known for is the fact that he that he abandoned he forced them to abandon the sacrifices because. He was a a Greek by culture and he wanted to enforce Greek culture on the Hebrews. And so he banned them from from carrying out their their sacrifices. He banned them from carrying out their feasts, the Jewish people. And he desecrates the, the temple with all manner of profanity as the ancient Greeks did. So no Pentecost festival, no, no Feast of Tabernacles festival, uh, no Passover festival, uh, no temple sacrifices. Uh, he, he really is a king of bold face. Okay? 220 years and more after Daniel is seeing this vision. And I wonder, can you imagine how the, the people of Israel felt about this? They're they're prevented from carrying out the very religious life that they were instructed by God to carry out. I mean, that must have seemed a a very strange providence indeed. What was happening back then. And the reason the people uh, are are, are being... um, The reason that the sacrifices are being uh, banned and the reason that this is happening by a foreign leader is the same reason that that, that there continues to be right through the Bible. It's because of judgment. We see it there in verse 12. The harsh clamped down, the banning of the sacrifices was because of transgression. It was the sin of the people. God uh, yet intends to work deliverance for his own people in due course, however, uh, because as a result of this clamp down on the Jewish religious life, there, there's, a, there's a revolt. Okay? It sounds like a history lesson tonight, but we are getting places, believe me. This, there's a bit of a revolt, uh, there's a turf war, there's, there's guerrilla warfare. And the national institution that is so precious to the, to the Israelites, they, they fight for it. And someone rises up against the, the king of Seleucus. It's like another chapter in the book of Judges. You know, you know your Bible and in the book of Judges what happens is there's a cycle. And the people sin. Judgment comes at the hand of, a, of an enemy who's a foreigner. Uh, and, and the people cry out to God. And then what happens in time? God sends a deliverer. And from the historical record we know that this deliverer is someone known as Judas Maccabees. Judas Maccabees. He's a hero. And after a six-year war, which is about 2,300 days, okay, after a six-year war, he, he, he manages to overthrow the king of Seleucus. He manages to, to, to reinstate the religious sacrifices. And I want you to get the sense of the importance of Judas Maccabees because, because it helps us to realize that, that, you see, today, many Jews think of him the way you and I think of Jesus. That's as, that's as, as important as he is. They, they think of him as a deliverer. They think of him as their, 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 their rescuer. 
Around 166 BC, he leads a rebellion against uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, the, the king of Seleucus, and, and he triumphs. And Jerusalem's taken back, and the temple observances are, are returned. And, 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 and Jews today still celebrate this in a festival that you'll know. It's called Hanukkah. Hanukkah. That's what it is. That's what they're celebrating. There's three festivals mentioned in the Bible. Uh, the Passover, uh, the festival of tabernacles, and Pentecost. And this is the fourth one. It's not in the Bible, but that's the reason why they celebrate it. Because of this man, Judas Maccabees, who overflows this king who gets rid of the sacrifices. It's Hanukkah. It's the festival of lights. That's what it's called. You've heard of it, some of you. And as Daniel watches on, and he's getting this vision, he gets this sense of, 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 of much to be concerned with, doesn't he? I mean, it's no wonder he's sick for some days. He can hardly watch what's going on in front of him because he knows it means something. You know, it really means something. And he wants to understand it and he gets a bit of a sense of it. And I want you to think about it. Because where is Daniel? He's in Babylon, isn't he? He's he's looking to get home along with all the rest of the people. To get the temple rebuilt, to get, get back to where they belong. But the story is that even when you do get back, there's plenty more trouble coming in the beautiful land. Isn't that right? And, and, and Daniel doesn't get the, sense, the full sense of it because he's looking forward. We get the benefit of the history books, okay? But, 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 but yet, he, he still realizes there, there's, there's, a, there's a disaster coming. And that's not easy to take. So what's the message tonight for us? Well... For the, for the people of Israel, the message is clear, isn't it? There's plenty of trouble coming. Getting home from Babylon will require a long, arduous road lined with suffering for the people. And, and even when you get there, right? It's not going to be perfect. Even when you get back to Israel. The application for, for God's people in Babylon is clear. You're not home yet. <laughs> And even in the glorious land, you're still not going to be at a time of rest and peace. Because cause, cause you know what? It's not perfect because the people there that are living in it aren't perfect. Transgression is going to bring with it what transgression deserves. It's more trouble. And for us, it's, it's prepare for trouble as well. <laughs> now it's slightly different. Don't be surprised though if it gets tough in our society. Well, yes, there are places in our world right now uh, that, that, that are going through a revival. Yes. I've got a question for you, right? Where is the number one country for numbers of people attending Christianity explored courses in the world? I think David might know, but I'm not going to ask him. You know what the answer is? The number one country for people attending Christianity explored courses is Iran. Iran. Yes, the land of the Medes and the Persians. But it's not easy there to be a Christian. Sure it's not. And, and there are other places in the world where, where, where Christian influence is eroding really fast and, and we're in one of them. And we wonder what it would be like in the future and will they try to silence us? Will they say, don't, don't you be going there to church and we're not, we're not going to let you do that? And don't, don't you be putting your children into Sunday school because, or, 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 or taking them to, to Pathfinders because we don't know, that that's, that's a bit extreme, that stuff, you know? But would we like to swap with our brothers and sisters in Iran? Where it's all revival? Would we? Ah, I'm not sure you're putting your hand up to that one. 
I don't know if I am either. We've got problems too, different problems. Now our trouble is not because of transgression. Our trouble is because of association with Christ. Isn't that right? Uh, All who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, we're told. Prepare for trouble. In heaven we're at peace. In heaven there's no more suffering. In heaven we have no enemies. In heaven we're at rest. In heaven we have perfect relationship with God and with, with our fellow Christians and with Christ. But we're not home yet. Prepare for trouble. We have to prepare ourselves. Daniel's people could react in one of two ways to this news. You could either deny it and bury your head in the sand as it comes around. Or you could plan to persevere. Plan to be a light in a, in a dark land. Plan to be faithful no matter what comes. And we also have to plan to persevere. Isn't that right? I'm, I'm making my way around the congregation visiting at present. Trying to get to know uh, you, you all a bit better. And, and, and something struck me. Okay, Some of you have had really difficult lives. Really difficult recent years. And as some of you tell me the stories of your life, there's, there's often lots of tragedy, lots of, of unexpected sickness and lots of unexpected death. And it's really hard. And yet, and yet you're still standing. You're still standing. You're, you're still growing as believers. You're still, you're still in Christ. You're living to tell the tale. You're a real encouragement. You're a real encouragement to me. You're a real encouragement to others. You're like trophies of grace. Like monuments of perseverance. That speak volumes to me and others. French President Emmanuel Macron said. He would persevere with railway reform until the end. That was his comments on the the strike last Thursday. Persevere until the end. And we need Emmanuel to help us. No, I'm not talking about that Emmanuel. I'm not even talking about Emmanuel who works alongside Richard and Therese. No, I'm talking about the real Emmanuel, okay? The one one they're all named after. God with us, our great hope. You see, with God with us, we can persevere to the end. You see, there'll be plenty of trouble. But will we see it out to the end? See, that's not because of the ram of Persia or or the goat of Greece. It's because of the lamb of God. That's what we're talking about. Jesus is is our real deliverer, you know. He's he's the one who rescues us decisively. We're not looking to Judas Maccabees uh, because he's not the real light. No, Jesus is the light of the world. The one who who, who, who at the very end will rule as king of kings and lord of lords. And he's he's the one whose kingdom will not pass away. He's the only one who truly is great. You see, it's not the one who brings back the sacrifices that we celebrate. It's the one who fulfills them and brings them to an end. That's who we celebrate. It's only with Jesus that we can persevere to the end. Hebrews 12. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See he went all the way didn't he? He persevered to the end. 
so he could say it's finished. And because of Jesus, we not only can persevere, but we must persevere. Listen to Matthew 24. And because of lawlessness, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Because of Jesus we must endure to the end. And finally because of Jesus we will endure to the end. Philippians 1. And I am sure of this. That he who began a work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm sure of it, Paul says. He will. In that way, the perseverance of the saints doesn't cause us any trouble. Because it's not my problem. Because he's doing it, isn't he? (laughs) But we still strive to keep on going. As we must. Perseverance is needed as we look to Christ and look to the end. I want to say with, a, with an aging Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Uh, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We need to keep going. We need to keep Going. We need to not lose heart, no matter what happens. You know, God owns the chessboard. Remember, let's pray together.